where should I go? He said, put that on hold for now and take the QHHT course. So I did. Wow. So he asked you to become a QHHT practitioner. He did, yeah. Why? Did he say why? I mean, didn't you have enough he, to do? He just said uh, it's just a way of exploring new avenues, you know, on my on my journey. A new way to sort of make contact with spirit at a different venue rather than through him. And so, and it's good. I'm, I'm delighted. I love it. I just think it's great. So how many people have you done? I would I, come to you if I was in Canada. Well, I, I, and I would certainly love to have a session with you. I've done about 35 so far. Oh my goodness. That's, a, that's amazing. That's a lot. So when did you graduate? When did you graduate as a practitioner? Um, well, I took the online course uh, last April. Yeah. And then I took the level two course in September in Vancouver. Okay. So, so I, I could practice with level one, but I wanted to take level two because it was in Vancouver, taught by Julia Cannon, actually. So Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, and so now I'm a level two practitioner and the next level up is level three, which you have to have 125 people. So I'm a little ways away from that. So what happens in level three? I mean, I, I actually, to tell you the truth, Garnet, I do it. I did it on a client yesterday. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just get my guides to guide, but just, they show sure. me everything that the person is going through. They show me how they feel. They show me their thoughts. They show me what they see. So mm. they completely guide me through it. I, I read, um, newton's books years ago uh journey of souls yes um what's his name newton and i just michael went newton. michael newton i yeah. just went oh wow so i just started doing it on people <laughs> i just started i just did it because i was like 20 odd years ago and i don't think there were people teaching it then i mean no. dolores was teaching her thing but i didn't know about her then and um yeah. so i just started doing it on people and i had people that were trees I had people that were, um, whoa, gee, what happened? There were some interesting, it was amazing. Well, yeah, all, all kinds of interesting past lives and everyone's different. Um, and everyone has, uh, it's very interesting, very intriguing. But the, the really neat thing about um, QHHT is that you start off with a past life regression, one or two, and then you go to the point where you contact their higher self. Yeah. And that's where you get the real information because then it's like, it's direct verbal. So people yeah. will come with a list of questions and you ask the higher self and you get the answers and it's amazing the st stuff that's revealed, you know, it, it's really, it, you know, people who have uh, health problems or, or sort of wondering like, what's my purpose in life? Where am I going? What should I do? Where should I live? Should I change jobs? That kind of thing, you know, and, and they get some really good answers some really good advice. So it, it's really very, uh, very enlightening. I just, I love it. I just, I, I can't thank Albert enough. He, I mean, he knew what he's doing. I mean, he knows me, he knows where I should be going, you know, even though, I always don't, don't always know that, but I know he does. So I just follow along. He's my, he's my tour guide. <laughs> he's my tour guide. He's my hero. I know yeah. yesterday I had a client who's an amazing man, like an amazing author. And anyway, he got sick and I just reached out to him and I said, you know, I can help you. And he came for a session and I took him to his higher self. And well, I took him to meet his spirit guides and he couldn't see any form. So I said, what's going on? And they were telling me that he needed to, he needed to know that it was him and not someone outside himself. Like he needed to kind of have that as his, in his mind, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so he yeah. saw himself speaking on stage and, and um, he has, he has spoken on stage many times, but, uh, and, and so his higher self appeared to him just as he looked like, just as him. And, and then he started speaking through him. And then he kind of looked at me after the session when he woke up 
he was, um, did you freeze? I think you froze, you put your eyes shut. When he woke up, he was like, oh my God, it was like- Oh, you're freezing up. He couldn't believe that, like it feels, it feels so normal when you're doing it. And then when you wake up back into this reality, that's when you get that, actually I've not, I've been somewhere else. It's really interesting because it feels so normal. And uh, so he just realized that he was, he's talking to his higher self or his higher self talking to him is what he does when he writes. Anyway, it's like what he already does. So it was so interesting. It was so interesting. Oh, you, wow. T- tell me about the gentleman that you were going Oh, Howard Storm. Oh, we're having some issues, aren't we? He's, he died in 2000. No, he died in 1987. Mm-hmm. He was an artist. Um, I'll, I'll send you, I've done a couple of shows with him. I love Howard. He's so beautiful. And he uh, had this amazing near-death experience where he spoke to Jesus and Jesus showed him many things, many, many mm-hmm. things, and which we go into. He actually went through a hellish experience too. So, um, so he came back, you know, not really understanding how it all works, but he came back knowing that there was heaven and hell because he had experienced it, not mm-hmm. understanding really that that hellish experience was kind of created all for his benefit. I, I think yes. I think he does actually understand that in some respect. I haven't gone into it too much with him, but, and he's been on many shows. He's been on Oprah. He's been on Donahue. He's been on Sally Raphael, but only very briefly and only just saying that there's a heaven and hell, not really going in, but he's been on many, many, many podcasts. But for some reason the other day, when we did our last week, it was when we did he was talking about how his wife says that he always dresses like a homeless man and he was showing me that he bought these new jeans. He's really cute. And for mm-hmm. some reason, you popped into my mind. I just started telling him your story about Albert, just the very beginning, just how you met Albert as the homeless man and just how it was like this cosmic joke that he would show up to a corporate lawyer who's so well-dressed, pinned down, buttoned down as a homeless man. And I was just telling him that he always appears to you still today as the homeless man. And I think that's hilarious that he hasn't sort of morphed into some just normal looking person, but always stays as the homeless man. And uh, I was just sort of telling him, we were just having a bit of a joke about that. He came uh, back and, um, oh, his story is amazing. And he, um, he became, he started telling people what he had experienced and they just thought he was batshit crazy. And so this is in 87, remember? And Mm -hmm. he was a art professor at the university and he went, through, he went through hell on earth, actually, trying to um, tell people what he'd experienced and th- people thinking he was crazy. But he had committed his life to God. And he basically became a reverend in the Anglican church. So his wife left him. She thought he was crazy. He remarried a beautiful woman. And he lived out his life as a pastor. And he spent most of his life going into hospitals, uh, counselling the sick and counselling the dying. And he's just the most beautiful he just lives compassion. He just lives loving compassion. And so he's a beautiful man anyway. Sounds and, interesting. Uh, yeah, he's a lovely man. I get a lot of comments on his, um, a lot of religious people telling me that I'm not with Christ and that I've got the devil. I'm a new age devil person. And he, his, his interviews get a lot of banter under the YouTube, a lot, a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good and negative, but the negative one's kind of like, Actually, they don't bother me too much, but uh, some are some are pretty. Um, just the it's actually so interesting, Garnet. It's like you talk about in the book the level of the uh, solidity of the idea, 
the righteousness inside the idea. You're wrong and I'm right. That sort of uh, fearment, like religious rhetoric. Do you know what I mean? It's. Uh, mm. I, I know it all too well. Yeah, I grew I, up with it. Oh, okay. I did not. Mm -hmm. yeah. I grew up in a very strict Roman Catholic family. Okay. So I got all of that. Did yeah. you? Over and over, yeah. All this Jesus is the only way, you know, and there's no other prophet but Jesus and Jesus is king and all this. I, I heard it when I was young, but it used to really make me cringe. I would say to myself, Jesus would be rolling in his grave if he could hear these people, you know. And oh, we've got to go. We've got to start the show. Jesus has a lot to say in your book. He's like, I don't know if yes. it's you or Jesus saying <laughs> It's like, he gets, oh, uh, it's Jesus. <laughs> he gets really riled up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so, so okay. you got to accentuate the positive. Wow, I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain, exploring consciousness, awakening consciousness, all that great stuff. Look who's with me again today. Yay! <laughs> I've got Garnet Schulhauser with me again today. And we're going to discuss book number four, Dance of Eternal Rapture. That's right. I've got to say, this book, oh, Garnet, this book, this book <clears throat> is one of my favourites. He actually sent it to me over a year ago. So you finished it like the end of last year and then getting it out and publishing and, you know, all that sort of thing takes about a year. So it's a bit of a slow process as I'm finding out, you know, with the book that I'm publishing. But uh, it's just incredible. Welcome to the show, Garnet. Well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me again. I'm delighted to be back on your show. They're always very, very much fun, exciting, and uh, very hopefully informative to your listeners. Well, this book, this book. So as I said, I read it a year ago and loved it. It's like I devour them in about, I can't not finish it in one hit. And, uh, and then I've read through it over the years, but then a lot, a lot has happened this year. So I reread it just before, you know, last week or over the last few days, just so I would, and I got probably more out of it, like third, fourth time around than I did the first time around. There's so much in this book. There's so much. And it's so controversial. So for people who don't know Garnet's story, he is all over the internet and I've done several shows with him. So go and have a look on my website or YouTube channel or iTunes or wherever you're listening to these shows and explore his stories there. We might just go over it very briefly for people who find this for the first time. Do you want to go just very briefly how you came to this information? Sure. Well, it was through my spirit guide, Albert, and how I met him was back in 2007. I was still practicing law in Calgary, and I went for a walk one sunny afternoon in May. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a homeless man just jumped in front of me, and he looked like a typical homeless man with sort of scraggly hair and beard and dirty clothes, and uh, he really looked the part. But I didn't go around him because he had these amazing, sparkling, dazzling blue eyes that, that sort of... Uh, penetrated deep within me. I felt like he's looking right into the depths of my soul and he knew everything about me. And then uh, at the same time, he was sending me this wave 
of pure unconditional love that was infusing my whole body with an amazing sense of peace and security and well-being. So it was like a, an amazing feeling. So I stood there like a deer caught in the headlights until he finally said, why are you here? And he disappeared into a nearby store. When I went into the store to find him, because I really needed to find out who he was, he, uh, he, had, he wasn't there. And I went back on the street, walked up and down. He had disappeared into thin air. And so the next day, I resolved to go and try to find him again. So same time, same street, same place. I walked up and down hoping to find him. Finally, I saw him sitting all alone on the bench. And I went up to him and I said, who helped me? He said, I'm just like you. I'm here to help you on your journey and answer your questions. And then uh, he, uh, so that was the beginning of a dialogue that I, that I had with uh, him that went off and on for the next several months. I found out he was really one of my spirit guides in disguise. His name was Albert. He had come to answer all my questions, and then he enlisted me. Uh, he's very persuasive. He got me to agree to write a book about my, uh, my dialogue with him and, and his revelations, and that was the first book, Dancing on a Stamp. And then after that, he came into my life in astral form and took me on some astral excursions. And Albert basically said, you're here to, to, to write about those in your, in, in your books, and I've written now four in total. First of all, he's talking to you as, as, he, a, homeless, as a homeless man. Then yeah, he's then talking it, to you in your head, and then he's, telepathy. Taking, then he's taking you out of your physical body into body, your astral it, body. To take, on, take astral trips, yes. And so that, that's sort of the, the scenario, the progression of my relationship with him. That's right. And, and the last book that you've just written, Dance of Eternal Rapture, is, uh, is the fourth in the series. Now, we're going to go through it. I've got a few notes here because I... Um, I uh, have just reread it and uh, we can't go through the whole thing, but I have to say the first part, the introduction that you do on the road again, I actually love that section because it really encapsulates your journey, exactly what you've been through. And you talk about some of your adventures and you talk about who we are, why we're here, how we get here, why we come you talk about how we plan our lives before we get here. You talk about the support that we have. It really is a fantastic chapter, actually, in understanding who we are as souls having a spiritual experience. Because, you know, I get a lot of people reaching out to me on the show and they're confused. Like, is there a hell and is there really a devil and, and why am I here and I don't want... Like, there's a, so much confusion and that really encapsulates it beautifully on the road again, chapter number one. I thought that was fantastic. Loved it. The next hey. chapter is the prophet. Mm -hmm. That's kind of controversial. And even he said, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> so, so do you want me to tell, to tell what happened in the, yeah, with the, well, one of my trips to the spirit side with Albert, he introduced me to Muhammad, you know, the, the soul who had walked the earth as Muhammad started Islam. Very interesting conversation. Muhammad was, he appeared to me sort of as the, as the, the books have sort of depicted him with the sort of the, the black garment and, uh, black beard and so on, um, and very hooded eyebrows. He, he, but he's a very wise and compassionate soul. Like there's, there's nothing, nothing even remotely evil about him or, or uh, malevolent or anything. He's a very beautiful, wise, compassionate, loving soul. Yeah. And it's very interesting because I said to him, you know, what do you think about how Islam has developed and, and what's your view on it? And he said, well, it's done a lot of good, but he said there's two places where they've really gone way off, off track. And he said, first of all, their subjugation of women, 
where a lot of the countries, Muslim countries, as you well know, subjugate their women, in fact, to the point of abuse. I mean, they make them either wear a head covering or a face covering or a body covering. Um, a lot of countries, they, the girls can't go to school, can't get jobs. Until recently, Saudi Arabia, they couldn't even drive cars. And so they're, they're, really, they're really abused and subjugated. And, and, and Muhammad said that is not what he taught. That is not something that should be derived from his teachings. He always felt that women were equal, should be treated with respect, with dignity. And he doesn't know how it somehow got off track with his followers. And he was really upset about that because he said, that's not what I taught. That's not what the message I got from Archangel Gabriel. It's just, it's just totally off track. And he, he really thought that he would really like to come back sometime and, and uh, tell his followers that they, they really should change their course because that's not really part of his teaching. So that was quite an eye-opener to hear it right from the source. And then the other thing he said was that there was no way that his teachings ever advocated violence against people who didn't believe in Allah or had other worship a different God. He said that that's not part of his teachings either. And he says it's a tragedy that certain men, particularly men on our planet, Muslims, who are inciting violence, terrorism, you know, uh, abuse against other religions, even fighting amongst themselves in the name of, of their God, Allah. And he said that's not what his teachings were about. He, he was very much similar to, to Christ, and, and he was trying to get people to have love and compassion for one another uh, and, uh, and, and follow a sort of a, a, a humanitarian sort of course on their journey. And, and he said violence against other people is just nonsense, and, and there's no way that those guys can justify the, the, the terrorist acts and other violence they're causing because it's done in the name of Allah. He says, Allah does not do that, and, and that's not what he wants. And so they're really off course there. So he was really upset about those two aspects of, his, uh, of the religion that he founded. And he really, and he, I sincerely believe this, he really wanted to come back again, uh, you know, incarnate again and try to set the record straight, set things straight. But he said that it's, it's up to the Council of Wise Ones, and, and they haven't uh, given him the tap on the shoulder yet to say, let's go. But he was really anxious to get back there. And so it's really quite an eye-opener. He really, as far as I'm concerned, he set the record straight about what Islam is about. So he didn't say whether he would or not. But you know what's really interesting, Garnet? There, like you discuss this in the book really well. You talk about in quite a lot of the um, chapters that were distressing to you in where you saw terrorism and where you saw injustice and the Ku Klux Klan and you kind of explore the human mind and how we get so on a trajectory of thought and no one no matter what is going to sway us from what we believe is right and that rightness inflicts a lot of pain and violence on other people and this happens in religion this happened well you know in society it's happened in history something really interesting that you said that the Council of Wise Ones said is that other planets or realms or dimensions that have had a third dimensional experience or a human experience have evolved a lot faster than we have. And yes. some, for some reason, our human society has got really stuck or in this like fight this fight this war this got stuck inside the mind and these beliefs and thought forms and we haven't been able to evolve as quickly out of it that's something i found fascinating and so and so these chapters are fascinating and depressing in a way <laughs> that we're so far behind everyone else 
<laughs> oh, well, it's not a race. <laughs> There's no yeah. such thing as time, you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, fascinating. But, you know, and even Muhammad says, you can put this in your book or not, and you might get a lot of uh, pushback because people might not like to hear yeah. You know, and, and obviously they wouldn't even probably believe you, the religious, the ferment religious people, the overzealous religious people. Uh, and even if he did come back, they wouldn't even believe that he, if someone came back and proclaimed that they were the prophet Muhammad, they'd just put him in jail and call him no, crazy anyway. <laughs> he wouldn't be believed. No, I agree with you. It would be a tough role for him. It'd be really tough. Mm -hmm. It'd be really, really tough. Okay, so moving on. That's a fascinating chapter. And then you've got Buddha, you speak to Buddha. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Buddha was again a very wise, compassionate soul. Um, I went there for a, he was sort of holding a, a sort of a group meditation on the yeah. spirit side. Yeah, and it was very, very nice. And it was really sort of like once we got there, it was sort of like you asked him a really good question, though. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? Uh, Why do you meditate on the spirit side? Uh, Why do yeah. you meditate on the spirit side? Exactly, because it's just a, a means of getting uh, more unified with the source, with sort of the whole universe. And it was really an amazing feeling. It was sort of like... Uh, uh, like I thought, why do you need to meditate on the spirit side? That's something that we humans have to do. And he said, no, that's just the way for people there to get even closer uh, as, as part of a unifying uh, field with the, uh, with the source. And so that's why, and that's why people do it. That's why he was leading it. I was part of it. It was really quite amazing. It was sort of like a, a brief moment. It was sort of like the time that I was immersed in the source and I describe in one of my books, sort of just like you, you felt like at one with the universe, immersed in pure, unconditional love. It was an amazing feeling. And so that's why they meditate there. But he was, you know, he, he was just sort of carrying on with what he did in his earthly uh, incarnation. And he's, he was a very, he actually appeared the way that the, that the books and the statues depict him with a little pot belly. And of course, he could show up any way he wants to, but he sort of showed up that way just so that I would recognize him. And was like, okay, you're Buddha. I believe you. Well, that's interesting because, see, I don't see Buddha like that. I see Buddha as this emaciated being sitting under the Bodhi tree. That's how I see Buddha. So I guess if he was to appear to me, he would appear like that to me because that's, exactly. how, that's exactly. how I see him. So I guess you see him like that. But the little I saw him with a little pot belly and that's how he appeared. For you, he would appear the way you have envisioned him before. So yeah. you know, people over there can change their appearance anytime they want to. Yeah, exactly. They, they do so frequently. And that was really interesting too. All the people that you spoke to during the book who were telling you about their human lives, you know, a, a particular human life would yeah. appear as that character. And they yes. said, you know, this is not what I normally look like, but for you, I'm going to appear like that, which I thought was great. So Sophia, the Council of Wise Ones, it's been interesting when I've had you on the show before, people were really interested in the Council of Wise Ones. Can you speak more about the Council of Wise Ones? So you had a really nice conversation with Sophia. Do yes. You, do you want to talk about that? Sure. Council of Wise Ones is a, is a, a committee, a body of very wise, advanced souls. And there's a, the, the, the group that I met with was always 11 souls. Uh, Sophia was a chairperson in the middle, sitting around sort of a, a horseshoe-shaped table. And their job is to oversee all the incarnations on our planet. So they sort of supervise all the people going in. They, they give people advice on their life plans, make sure they're not being too ambitious uh, or make sure they're not taking an easy ride out. So they give advice. Although they don't, they can't dictate what you put in your life plan. It's ultimately it's up to you, your soul, as to what you want to put. But they give you some good advice, and they sort of. And lately, they've been recruiting some very advanced souls from other planets, other places in the in the galaxy to come to Earth because they re recognize that we really need a lot of help right now. And so they 
convince some of these souls to come in, become a human and uh, help us out, be a, be a guiding light for the rest of us. And so they've been, so they're really working hard behind the scenes. And I've had a couple of meetings with them and they, they really say, you know, humanity is at a very crucial point in their development. We have a very advanced technology, uh, but, but our emotional and spiritual intelligence has not kept pace. That's why we have so much violence. We have so much conflict. We have so many negative emotions running amok on our planet because we're not, uh, we're not advanced spiritually and, and emotionally enough. And so they're really trying to help us get over this hump so that we don't end up destroying ourselves. And so that's really their mission right now. And, and that's why they, they said that, that they've enlisted me as being one of their many, many, many messengers. You're one of them, Karen, whether you know it or not. And, I uh, do. I know it. <laughs> and and uh, so there's people, you know, people who host radio shows, write books, speak at public gatherings. There's, all kind, there's more and more all the time trying to spread the message of love, compassion, forgiveness. And, and they're really trying to, you know, get us over this rough patch in the road before we end up, you know, unleashing our weapons or having a nuclear war or destroying our life on the planet, which they don't want. They've seen that in the past, Atlantis, Lemuria, and a few other civilizations that have risen way up and then crashed and burned. And they really hope that we can, we can avoid that this time. And so they're really sending a lot of messengers with the same message. And uh, one of the things they told me this trip was that, you know, uh, one of the things we really have to concentrate on is, is to, to learn to not judge other people. Because they say you can't, you know, when you look at other humans, it's easy to say, okay, well, that person should be doing this or that person shouldn't do that or what's wrong with this person and, and that sort of thing. We often judge other people based upon the clothes they wear, the color of their skin, the God they worship, the language they speak, their customs. And, and there's a tendency among humans that if somebody is different from me, that I should feel uh, distrustful of them and maybe even hate them and be fearful and, and they said, that's just a, that's a very negative emotion. We can't judge other people because we don't know all the challenges they have faced in this life. And we don't know the ones they are going to face. And we don't know what they've done in their previous lives. We have, we have no idea. So it's, it's like you, you, just, you can't possibly judge other people and, and make a value judgment as to whether they're good, bad, you know, different, better than you, worse than you, or whatever. So they said, we really have to focus on not judging other people, accepting people no matter what they are, whatever they're wearing, whatever they're speaking, uh, accept them as being a, a soul, just like we are uh, having their own journey. And, and that's really important. We have to get to that point. Absolutely. As we discussed before, we've been held back and judgment is th the thing that's holding us back, but not only judgment of others, judgment of ourselves. Like mm -hmm. yes. there's just so many teachers out there. Cause you know, I've been in this, Ah, in you know arena for such a long time there are so many teachers out there teaching people how to overcome their negative stressful thoughts and those stressful thoughts you know when you judge yourself i'm not good enough i can't do it i'm a failure i'm useless i'm hopeless that's when you lash out at others and attack others like he's an idiot you're an idiot and you're this and this is this is this energy that we are dealing with as teachers and yeah yeah there are so many people in a myriad of fascinating ways teaching people how to overcome their stressful thoughts. This judgment thing, that's the biggest thing. And that's what I see on the YouTube comments, you know, this judgment thing coming from people who call themselves religious or Christians or, yeah, I'd be interested to see how long's the book been out, Garnet? How long has it been? Oh, it, it's not officially released yet. It's, it's supposed to come oh, happen in yeah. December. So it's oh. any day now. Okay. I, I don't get any advance notice, but it'll be out in the next couple of weeks. Okay. So 
I'm thinking that 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 chapter on Muhammad that'll be interesting right you speak to Elvis we won't go into every chapter in detail because people need to read the book I don't know if we'll reveal all the secrets in the book Gaia laments uh the dolphins I've got yes. a dol my daughter's a dolphin <laughs> she's yeah. been a, I knew that when she was oh yeah she's she was a she's been a dolphin she's just unbelievable tell me about your experience with the dolphins yeah, yeah. This was a, a, a dolphin named Shimmers, and it was in the um, in the Bahamas, in an uninhabited island. And was I was standing there with Albert, and this fin comes slicing through the water, and it's a little dolphin. We communicate by telepathy, and the message from this dolphin was pretty much the same as I got from the Orca in one of my previous books. Is that look at we're we're very intelligent, sensitive, empathetic creature. We live in. Uh, you're and we Hang on one sec, one sec. Please what? stop hunting us, trapping us. Sorry, we froze for a second there. Empathetic creatures, please stop hunting us and trapping us. Yep. Yeah, or, and, and catching us in your, in your nets. Uh, please stop putting us in your aquariums to do silly tricks for the spectators who don't care anything about us. You know, they, they don't understand why humans are so abusive and have been over the years. And, and they, they really want to live in harmony with us, uh, but they just... Uh, you know, they, right now they're, they, they basically are in fear of humans because they, they've been brutalized in the past and, and they, uh, they, they try to uh, you know, avoid us to the extent that they can. But they really want to be, you know, uh, live in harmony with us and they want, they want us to understand who they are. They want us to try to understand that they can communicate by telepathy and that, and that if we sort of uh, use more of our brains, we could soon be able to hear them and talk to each other by telepathy. So in that respect, they're more advanced than humans because most of us can't communicate by telepathy. And they can. And they communicate with each other, with you know the other cetaceans, the whales, and so on. They can even communicate with their their cousins on other planets in our galaxy. That's over you know many many light years, and they and they can do that. And so we're in that respect, we're way far behind them. Um, and and so we really need to, in that respect, catch up to them in that sense if we can. But in the meantime, they're saying, look at, please stop the abuse, and please, in particular, please stop polluting our our environment, the ocean. You know, like that's the place where we live. You dump your garbage there, your toxic chemicals, uh, you know, oil spills and that kind of thing. And, and that's not good for us, not good for you either, but you don't really seem to care about doing anything about it. So it was really a similar message to what I got from the Yorka uh, in, in, I think that was in book, uh, book three. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was, it's really heartfelt message. They really want us to change our ways. Same thing that, that Gaia has been telling us, uh, you know, for, for uh, so long is that we really have to change. In all your books, that message is very clear. Return to love and stop polluting the earth. You know, she mm. is a being. It's like you're polluting your own home, your own yes. body. It's like, uh, that's a big message. I, I don't know how many people that watch your videos need to hear that message because most of the people that watch your videos are attracted to your books probably know that already, but maybe yes. they're the ones that can go out and, spread that message to the people that won't come across your books or won't listen to your um, interviews. But uh, that's a powerful, powerful message in all your books about what we're doing to the earth. I have to say, you know, I've been um, exploring the dolphin thing for many, many, many years. And a lot of people have always said that the dolphins are far more, far more intelligent than humans, that we think that we're the most intelligent race on the planet and the dolphins are far more. And it's been uh, shown that their brains are so Prudentially bigger than our brains. They've got more striations. You know, they're folded tighter. Yeah. 
and they're slightly larger in size when you look at it, but if you unraveled it, they're like much larger. And so, yeah, humans have always thought we were the most intelligent species, but we are not. They are. No, no, we aren't. And, but we have, we have this arrogance about us that we think that we are. And we think that other animals, like including dolphins, are just dumb animals and they should be, we can treat them however we want. They don't really count. That's how the, a lot of humans have felt. I agree with you. The people who listen to your show are probably already past that. They're probably on the same page as we are. But there's so many people out there who need to be educated, who need to be informed. Yeah. So, so that, the people who listen to your show should go out and talk to their friends and their neighbors and their coworkers, spread the message. Yeah, I'm sure they do. But this is just a reminder that you are needed. You are valuable. We need you. Gaia needs you. We all need you. I have to say that some of the dolphins do enjoy being playmates with humans and even enjoy being, you know, inside. You know, they, they form a really strong bond with some of their human captors and they don't mind it. But there are a vast majority that do mind it, that do want to live free. And the slaughter of them in, in Japan and in different places mm. is not good. But there, is, but there is an agreement, a spiritual agreement with the dolphins, just like with humans, to experience certain things here on Earth. Like, and the things that might appear to be awful, but they're actually agreed to come and do that. So... Uh, it's not all bad news. It's a lot of bad news, but it's not all bad news. <laughs> all right, well, they, they have souls just like we do, and they do life plans just like we do. So exactly. you're right. Sometimes they'll put themselves into a situation where they, there's a challenge for them to overcome and to meet as part of their evolution. So you're right. Yeah. But, yeah. but still, generally speaking, we shouldn't use that as a justification for abusing dolphins in our, no. in our world. Exactly. But they do come to teach us too. And so, you know, many people know that and they, use dolphins as a therapy and they are so they are captured they are in an environment but there is an agreement that they would do that okay but but i'll tell you what one of the best for me one of the best i have to tell you this little story chapters in your book is the sea nymphs so remember on the inner sanctum when you came last time and i said of everything i've read in your books I can talk about spiders that you know run the universe on different planets and things that seem so out there i'm like I'm up for that. I'm up for that. The, the sea nymph, the mermaid, that was the thing that struck me. Like, could that really be true? Could a mermaid be real? And it really um, challenged my logical linear mind. It really challenged my logical linear mind. Do you want to talk about your experience with her? Sure. It was uh, on a, a, a deserted Greek island. Um, I was with Albert again, and, and it was so funny because we, uh, we were walking on the beach, and uh, we, I sort of saw this top part of this lady who was a very beautiful lady, long blonde hair, and, and she was sitting behind some rocks. And as we sort of walked around, all of a sudden I, I gasped because I could see that the lower half of her body was a, a fishtail, basically. And so I thought, oh, my God, it's a, it's a mermaid. And so she said, yes, the, she is a mermaid. Uh, she's part of a race. They have a whole race of mermaids on our planet. She said that they were uh, developed a long time ago by crossing a, a, a human with a now extinct fish. And some of the ETs did this just as a sort of an experiment. So, but, but she was very much a mammal, like had, had mammary glands and uh, you know, fed, nursed her, uh, her young with milk, uh, had lungs and, and breathed air. But they were very advanced. They had, they had like some of the whales, they had the, the ability to basically to stay underwater for like two hours. And so, and so they, were, they could stay underwater, conceal themselves, very fast swimmers. They could swim way faster than our fastest sprinters could run. 
Mm. And and so they're very good at, at uh, avoiding detection. And the reason the gore, just like the, the the you know some of the other creatures like the Sasquatch and the Irish fairy, they avoid humans because they find us to be abusive and aggressive. And they're very concerned that if they sort of you know made themselves known, they'd end up in a in a an aquarium somewhere to show off you know to the, the spectators or being poked and prodded in the lab. I mean, they didn't want any of that. They they just like humans know you know they they understand who we were. Uh, they they think that uh, we're just crude and abusive and they want to b- avoid us. And so they have, and they're very good at it because they can swim very fast, stay underwater. And, but there are over in all of our oceans that have been for a long time. And, and so, and, and, and they, they're very much peace loving. I mean, they, uh, they want to live like, just like the dolphins in harmony. They have a close connection with the dolphins. The dolphins will actually warn them uh, when there's humans around and they can also detect our thoughts, even though we can't detect their thoughts, but they can sort of uh, read the thoughts of humans nearby. So that also helps them avoid detection. And so they've been living secretly amongst us, just like the Sasquatch and the fairies, uh, and really hope someday that, they can, that we can change our ways so they can come out and live openly among us because they, they, really, they, don't, they, they don't hate us. They just want to avoid us because they're fearful of us. Yeah. And I said to her, what about the, some of the legends that, uh, that we've heard about how uh, mermaids uh, cause shipwrecks and other sort of disasters? She said, no, totally untrue. They don't do that. In fact, they've been very instrumental in helping some shipwreck sailors uh, you know, get to land and avoid drowning. And they've been doing that behind the scenes for a long time. And you know, some people have reported seeing them. Christopher Columbus reported seeing mermaids on his journeys to America. Yeah. You know, it's the old saying is where there's smoke, there's usually some fire. I mean, people yeah. don't just come up with these, you know, out of the blue. And so, yeah, there are mermaids. Hard to believe. We haven't seen any. I've never captured one, but they exist. Yeah. Well, something interesting that you said was something a way their blood uh, operated. You said something about blood synthesizes oxygen. Do you remember what you said? It, I, it, I th- yeah, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it, it, it's similar to one of the whale species where their blood was very adept at absorbing and retaining oxygen, which yeah. is why they could stay underwater for like two hours. It, there are some whales that can do that, actually. Yeah. And so they had the similar kind of a, a, a mechanism in their blood that allowed them to sort of absorb great amounts of oxygen to, you know, to keep them going for a long time underwater. So that's why they could stay underwater for two hours, which is really, I mean, for me, I can't stay underwater for like three or four minutes. But <laughs> you can imagine staying under for two hours, but well, anyway, and, and of course with their tail, they're very fast at swimming and they had yeah. sort of semi, semi webs on their hands too. Yeah. And so they could, you know, they could, they could really move quite fast under the water. So it was I really quite fascinating. I guess why I found it so hard to believe was I thought that if you were a creature that lived in the ocean, you'd look more like a dolphin. So your skin would be like more like rubber. Like you wouldn't look like a human, like a beautiful woman. That seemed to me to be, um, you'd look more like a fish. You might have a head and hair and, you know, mammary glands and arms, but you'd kind of look more like a fit, like a whale or a fish. And the way that you described her, she looked like a human. The top part of her was very human. She was a very attractive lady. From the waist up. Did you yeah. touch her skin? Did you feel it? No, I, I, in astral form, I can't touch. Can't oh, touch yeah, it. you're in astral form. That's right. Yeah, yeah okay. I couldn't touch it. No, it looked real to me. Her hair looked beautiful like yours. Uh, it was, uh, and she had, you know, blue eyes and a great smile. And she's very attractive. I mean, if, 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 if you ignored the bottom part of her, uh, of her body, she would have been, you know, very attractive to every man on this planet. Yeah, I guess that that. Okay, so I went for a walk with my daughter. 
And um, I kept saying to her, you know, mermaids are real, Annika. You know, mermaids? and she's going, yes, mum, you've told me. Yes, mum, you've told me. And I'm like, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Like I kept talking about it. And she's like, yes, mum. Anyway, and we went and we did a little meditation. We live right on the ocean here, right? So we were sitting there looking out over the rocks and over the ocean. We did this little mermaid. I said, let's meditate. And I'm like, you know, mermaids are real. There are mermaids out there in that ocean. Yes, mum, you've told me. And I said, why do I find this so hard to comprehend, to really believe? And then I did this meditation. My guide said, because I'm one of them. You're one of them. You used to be a mermaid? My God. Well, I there think, you go. I think it's in a um, future life. I haven't. Oh, it's a future life, yeah. I, I don't know. It's not. I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't worked at all. Because my linear brain, the disbelief is still in the way. My linear brain is in the way of getting clear guidance. Because I was so disbelieving. Can this really be true? Can this really be true? But it's still in the way. But I'm yet to get more information about that. But as I think about myself as a child, one of the things that I love to do is swim underwater like a mermaid. And I mm -hmm. could do four laps of the pool. And I used to be able to, um, I used to play with how I could breathe underwater without breathing. I could use the oxygen in my blood to breathe into my lungs. I used to do that as a child. Is that bizarre or what? <laughs> no, you, you're, you're having memories of your future or past life as a mermaid. It's oh, leaking yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd right. be interesting. Interesting for you to have a regression or a progression to find out about that life. I have to come to you. I have to come to Canada and have one of your sessions. Because Absolutely. We were, we were just talking about how, um, while Albert hasn't got Garnet writing any more books at the moment, he's been uh, teaching, he's been learning to be a QHRT, how many letters in it? A, reg a, a teacher, um, a regression Q therapist. QHHT, quantum hypnosis therapy. Yeah. And, and you've done 35 sessions, you're at level two and you're loving it. And I'm like mm -hmm. saying, I would love to come and have a session with you, but it's a bit far from Sydney, but one day we'll do that. Come for a vacation. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to find out more. Um, I do have access to that sort of information without going into regression, but my linear brain does get in the way. And when it gets in the way, I just leave it for a while. Mm -hmm. until my linear brain sort of like calms down and then I can come back to it and, and I ask in meditation and I have pretty good access. So it's quite good. But the mermaid thing, and you know what else I loved about this chapter? In that same chapter, which I found fascinating, synchronicity, mm -hmm. you talk about Uluru, you talk about the second moon, you talk about mm -hmm. Australia. And, and yes. so this, this chapter that meant so much to me was the mermaid, which like totally rocked my world. Mm -hmm. Like, can that be true? And then you talk about Uluru. And now this is something that I found absolutely fascinating. This is information I've never heard before. And I thought I'd heard of most of it. No one's ever brought through this information. Do you want to tell us about, you know, the second moon? Sure. Albert uh, told me that at one point in a time, Earth had another moon bigger than our current moon. It was actually inhabited by creatures and it was sort of a thriving little planet, uh, you know, uh, dwarf planet, I guess you might call it. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it, it got struck by a comet and basically blown apart. Uh, most of the pieces ended up between Mars and Jupiter as the asteroid belt. Mm. But before the planet uh, suffered this uh, disaster, some of the ETs scooped up some of the animals that lived there, and brought them to Earth, and they brought them to uh, Australia, what was then the supercontinent of Gondwanda, and uh, they put, put them there. And the reason they did that was because it was close to Ayers Rock, or Luru, 
and, and because that rock is a is a sort of a a beacon, a a, a, a vibrational telepathic beacon for for Gaia, and they wanted those creatures to feel close to Gaia. This is their new world, and if they can be close to the rock, they they would get her vibrations, get her love, uh, get her compassion, and they would feel more at home. And so that's why they put them in Australia, and they're, and they're very unique. You, the animals that are unique to Australia, Absolutely. you know, like the marsupials and, and duck-billed platypus, and and those creatures. A lot of those creatures don't exist anywhere but Australia, and, and so and, and that's the explanation. These they were they're plunked down there, and that's where they stayed. Um, and that's why it's so very unique. They don't exist anywhere else. But it's a very interesting story. And, and it's because of Ayers Rock Uluru that they, 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 they chose Australia for it because of this. It's a beacon for Gaia. And that's why the, the aboriginals on, on, in Australia have a special reverence for that rock. I was because told, they can it. When I first heard about the ascension years ago in my 30s and I was studying energy healing, I was told that Uluru was like a huge, a humongous crystal that has that like pulses and, and it has a significance. Like I think someone said it was the heart chakra of the planet, but I think that's been debated. You know, there's, you know, the heart chakra lives in Hawaii or something. There's like, everyone's got a different opinion about the chakras sure. of the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember being fascinated at that story that Uluru was this incredible crystal that has this huge significance to mother Gaia. And, and then you talk about it as a beacon but it's kind of, it feels kind of like a heart that pulses. It's like a baby feels safe when it hears its mother's heart. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I felt when I was reading that chapter, that the animals would feel safe because they would be close to this sort of. Close to Gaia. They would feel comfortable. That, yeah. Comfortable, they would, yeah. They, yeah. And, and some of your aboriginals have actually picked up on this vibration and this, this, Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the beams of energy that are flowing from it. And, and so that's why they, they have a reverence for it. Absolutely. And, and, yeah, and, and so interesting, I just read an article that the, the, the Australian government is going to prohibit people from scaling the climbing oh, up yeah. on top of it. Absolutely. The Aboriginals have been saying for years, for, for as long as time, you know, mm. as long as we've been, to not climb it. It's a sacred site and, to not, and mm. they've been trying for years to stop tourists from scaling the rock. They mm. really, it's really sacred to them. I want to tell you, I want to fill you in on something that I was told during a meditation. Someone asked me to come and do some grid work. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd always wondered why Australia was so barren. We are this massive land mass with mm -hmm. 22 million people, like nothing, like one city in, in, in South America or even in the state could have 22 million people. And we are this massive land. And I'd always wondered this. And during this meditation, this Aboriginal elder came and told me why. And they said that um, it was purposely made barren by, um, well, kind of like the Aboriginals are in charge of this. It, that it's like the land is protected because I think it has something to do with Uluru being the sacred rock and so close to Gaia because she did not want the current consciousness on this part of the land in its current form. So she didn't want too many humans on this part of the land with their angry, violent consciousness. I have to mm -hmm. say that we've got a horrible history just like any other place. And that she said that when we raise our vibrations and we, we live in a different consciousness, the land will regenerate and millions and millions and millions of more people will come to exist in this, in this part of the world. I was told that by an Aboriginal spirit and then I asked some Aboriginal elder and he looked at me shocked and he said 
only the Aboriginals know that. That's like a <laughs> secret. <laughs> I said, oh, well, the secret's out. <laughs> yeah, it's out now. <laughs> so well, that, that basically confirms everything that Albert told me. I mean, it's, you, you, from another source, from your source, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating Very interesting. Stuff. So fascinating. Okay, another. So you meet a little soul that was a dog. We won't go into that, but that is such a cute chapter. That is just one of my favorite chapters as well. But Ariel, she fascinates me. This is this is this book means so much to me. Ariel is a name I've been given as one of my guardian angel mob. But in your book, uh, even my daughter, when I asked her who her spirit guide was when she was a little girl, she said Ariel. And I thought mm. as a mother, oh, she's just watching that little mermaid thing, you know, on television. Mm. She's got that name from there. So I dismissed it as the sort of ramblings of a child just taking a name from a cartoon. But I think I shouldn't have dismissed it. Anyway. She Ariel says that she's not exactly an archangel. Did she explain who is she exactly? She said she didn't go into it in the book. Do you? No, she she just didn't like the title. I mean, the archangel thing is sort of a, an earthly title, and as I found out from both her and from what, what what we call Archangel Michael, is that they're I mean they're angels, they're spirits, but they sort of uh, downplay sort of the hierarchy of of, of souls. And as, and as Michael said, and as Ariel said too, it's like, okay, I mean, uh, calling me an archangel doesn't make me better than a regular angel or other spirits. I mean, we're all sort of spirits part of the source. We're all doing our different jobs. Some of us are more advanced than others, but we're not better than anybody else. And, and we don't have, you know, people down, be, down below us don't have to pay attention or obey us. They, they will follow us if we give them good examples and lead, you know, through love and compassion, but we're not... Uh, it's not a hierarchy like like, like the, the nobility in England where you have, you know, kings, queens, princes, dukes, you know, earls, counts, and that sort of thing. It's not that sort of hierarchy at all. So she just, she just said, you know, that's an earthly term, archangel. And, and, she's, and she, she recognizes that, but it's sort of like it was meaningless to her. It didn't, uh, yeah. didn't bear any, any, any meaning to her. Yeah. So, so we and, give labels. We give labels. Yeah, it's a label, yeah. And Albert has said that too. He says that people don't like labels on the spirit side. That's just yeah. a, human, a human sort of a, a tendency to, to put people, slot them into, into places. Categories, you know? yeah. Yeah, into categories. And they don't do that over there. So. so, okay. So she's part of what we would understand as the angelic realm. Yes. Which means that she doesn't incarnate into a physical body, but she can appear physically like Albert can, like she can yes. do tricks but they don't yeah. lead human lives like souls. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. They don't, they don't incarnate it in, into physical bodies, but they can appear physically if it's necessary to help yeah. somebody uh, on our planet. And they do, you know, frequently every now and then. Uh, there's lots of stories of people who said they were in some sort of a jam and somebody comes along to help them out. And yeah. then they never see that, you know, it's like yeah. period out of nowhere. Lots of stories. Those are your angels helping you, you know? And, and yeah. so that's what they do. But, but yeah, they, they don't intend to physically incarnate. They don't need to. I mean, they're already highly evolved. Ariel was interesting because she was, uh, her main job was sort of oversee, advise people who wanted to incarnate on earth as animals. That was sort of her, her main role. And she says that that's, you know, that, that's relatively easy compared to, say, humans because animals have less complex lives, except for creatures like dolphins and some of the more intelligent ones. But she says that because of what humans have been doing, it's not so easy anymore because she said you used to be able to say to somebody, okay, if you want to incarnate as an African lion, you know, here's sort of what's going to happen to you. And she says, you know, since humans come along, all of a sudden now 
this lion who should have been the king of the beasts and having a, a, a life where there's no predators, all of a sudden humans, poachers are, are, are killing him. And so it kind of throws the, the thing askew a bit. And so they have to be, she has to be more careful in, in terms of telling them where they could go and what they can expect. And so she's basically lamenting the fact that humans have upset the natural order of the animal kingdom. Uh, but there wasn't anything she could do about it. Yeah, we, we've been having a good time. That was something that you discussed uh, with um, the little dog too, the, the soul that chose to have a little, you know, they were going to dip their toe into the a water of the third dimensional human, you know, physical experience by being an animal because yeah. animals are more connected to source and they're, they have less turbulent, they're supposed yeah. to have less turbulent lives than getting all caught up with the negative thoughts that humans get caught up with. And so she chose this really cushy life, but yet there was sort of trauma that happened. And so it's interesting, the play between the life plan and the free will. Yes. It's like the life plan often doesn't pan out often and, or it can, it's like, it, there's just so much leeway, so much flexibility inside it. And you can go completely off your path, like so yes. off your path. Yeah, it's so fascinating. That, that's what makes a life on earth so challenging because of the free will can take you off on, on, on paths that you had not contemplated. And so you can't, you can do your life plan, but it's not etched in stone and you can go way off course once you get here. And it's not just your free will, other people's free will who interact with you. So it's, it's kind of a, it, it's a real challenge and that's why it's a tough school. It's a tough school, even for yeah. the a, a, a poor little animals. Okay, yeah. whether they're wild animals or, or, or cats and dogs, and birds and stuff like that. Lots of uh, talk about violence and vigilance. So um, you talk about John and Ben and they were a black man that was hanged by the Ku Klux Klan and his persecutor. You're chatting to them in spirit and that's an interesting conversation. But um, you had some questions about fear and terror and like the terrorism that all the mainstream media are talking about and terrorists and the fear that's being spread. So Albert takes you to, to meet someone who's just finished his life as a terrorist. That's a really fascinating conversation. Do you mm -hmm. want to talk about that? Yeah, he was a, a former high-ranking member of ISIL, and he had uh, and he told me the story of how he had got there. He was he was a young boy, you know, raised in uh, in uh, in Syria, and he ended up uh, joining one of their initial sort of splinter groups, armies, uh, mm -hmm. fighting the government, and then he ended up somehow into ISIL, rose up through the ranks, and he basically said, you know, this uh, the, the, their projection that they are jihadists, that they are religious people who are trying to you know, convert the world into, into, into Islam and, 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 and live the, under Shia, Shia law. Um, they, they, uh, he said th that group was basically just a bunch of bandits, a bunch of, uh, a, a bunch of hooligans who were after money and power. Uh, and they, they masqueraded as being uh, religious jihadists, but they really weren't. He said they deep down inside to the public eye, they, they pretended to be adherent to the religion and to Allah. But, you know, behind the scenes in the background, they were just, uh, you know, they, they like to rape women and enslave people and, and uh, drink and, uh, and do all kinds of things that you'd never imagine for devout, holy Islam people. And he said, that's just the way they were. And he said, it was nonsense. They didn't care about converting people to their religion. They just wanted money and power. The same thing that has driven men over the ages, you know, so often is money and power. And he just said, he, he, he actually shook his head and he said, I can't believe how some people were so gullible. Some of the, some of the uh, recruits they got from some of the Western countries, you know, they had slick websites uh, to recruit them. And he said he couldn't believe how basically naive or to use a blunt word, how stupid some people could be to actually sign up, go over there 
thinking that there would be sort of fun and glory and uh, glamour and then find out it was just, especially the girls, find out it was awful to be a sort of a, uh, wedded to, to a, a fighter. He ended up being a sex slave, basically. And he said that just happened all the time and he can't believe why people were so naive to actually do that. And so he was very blunt. He just basically said nothing, nothing to do about religion. They, they professed to be religious, but it wasn't. It was just a group of guys who wanted to, uh, you know, acquire money and power and rape women and do all the things that, that men with, with no restraints will do. But that's why it's so important to spread the message of love across our planet because love yeah. is the most powerful. I mean, when you're in love whether yeah. with yourself or with God or with humanity or with, you know, with something, you feel more powerful than you can ever feel. It's only really, really disempowered people who look at something like that, that think that that's going to make them feel powerful or be powerful or be empowered. It's this feeling of this disempowerment that mm-hmm. is the, um, that people like that can, can persuade normal nice people human beings to do horrendous things like this poor guy that we you know died as a terrorist he was just trying to have a better life and he thought that that was that what they were offering was a lot better than the life he had and how he felt about his life and um the power of love as you know garnet moves mountains absolutely and we need to we need to get more of that in our planet and to, to shut down the violence and the negative emotions, that's where we have to go. And, and it's, it's, it's heartening now to know I, the latest news report I heard is that ISIL is more or less finished, is more or less shut down in terms of occupying territory. So I think that's good, but they're still there. There's pockets of them everywhere who are planning terrorist acts and who are actually carrying them out. And we need to, we need to stop that out. I mean, that, that's just, that can't go on. It uh, makes our planet a horrible place. So I'm hearing people watching this say, um, did he give you any um, insight into the future and, and terrorist acts? And what I'm getting is no, not really. Like they didn't. No, he didn't. Yeah. So that was a question that I heard. Mm. Okay. Um, fear and terror. And you were like, oh, Albert, this is enough. I don't want to see any more of this. He takes you um, to see what happened in Salem, which is fascinating. Uh, I asked my guides if I was a witch because I always tell people because I've got the black hat, you know, every good witch needs a black hat. <laughs> Do you have a broomstick? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they said, uh, part of my soul group experienced that. And I went, oh, cool. Okay. And uh, tears and laughter. Robin Williams. I had a chat yes. to him after he left. And yeah. he said something similar to what he said to you. Because I just yeah. asked him, why did you go? Why? Why did you leave at this time? And he, he, he told me he, some insights into his life and how he was done. He was just done. And I went, okay, fair enough. And uh, he kind of said the same thing to you. He, mm-hmm. went into, into, he went into more detail. Maybe people need to read the book to find that out. Yeah, let them read the book. Um, Leonardo da Vinci, Mary <laughs> Magdalene. Okay, yes. you had a chat with Leonardo. It was very interesting. He, he actually, uh, you know, the, the first question I asked him was the question that everyone would ask him. Who was the, 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 the person of the Mona Lisa? Mona who was, Lisa. Who was that lady? And he said yeah, we, it wasn't. It was, it was a man. I know. I was going to say, do we reveal the secret oh. or let them read the book? Because oh, that okay. is a fabulous thing. You've revealed it. You've already spilled the beans, Garlic. Okay, tell them. Tell them what yeah. happened. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a man. It was actually his lover of many years, a guy called Paulo, who, uh, who, who he dressed up as a woman, painted a picture, um, and uh, n- n- nobody. some people have suspected that it was a, a man, but he yeah. said, yeah, it was. And 
the, the reason for the for the mysterious smile is that he he basically uh, uh, Paulo had said, "Gee, I wonder how many people are going to guess who I really am." And he had given this smile, and, and and Leonardo managed to capture it on his painting. So it was very fascinating. And it was you know he was he openly admitted he was gay. You couldn't admit that back in those days because that was I mean punishable and you'd go to jail for that. Uh, but yeah, he was he was, had been gay all his life, and uh, this was his lover. You explore that in a couple of other chapters too, how people in our history, you know, who were gay had had such a tough time. We think that gay population has had a tough time in the last 20 or 30 or even 50 years. Those people, a couple of hundred years ago, they were, boy, did they have a tough time. And, and right. poor old Leonardo was one of them. But he also reveals something else that's, um, which we won't talk about today. Okay. They can read the book got to leave something to them to read uh, sure. that um, was discussed in the Da Vinci Code, which, yes. which was fascinating. Um, and Mary Magdalene, and she talks about her life with Jesus. And I think that people in our, my community all know what you reveal, that she was not a prostitute. Yes. And mm. do, you want to, do you want to talk about Mary or should we leave that to the book? And I will talk about Mary because we've got, a, a, oh, no, we're nearly finished. We'll talk about Mary. What did she say to you? Well, she said basically what you said. I, I, I pointed out to her that some people in our history have thought that she was a prostitute. She said, no, she was not a prostitute. She wasn't a loose woman. She was very virtuous. And she confirmed what I had found out earlier was that she, well, she, was, she was married to Jesus Christ. She was married to him. They had three children. She was very devoted to him. She was actually his, his main confidant. And the reason that she suspected that some of these people painted her as being a harlot was because they wanted to denigrate her position in terms of Jesus and his apostles. And in those days, men didn't think that women should have any prominent role in religion or business or anything else. And so they didn't want to depict her as being who she was, which was uh, Christ's closest confidant. And she really was. And, and so they wanted th that role to be the, the 12 apostles, the 12 men. Mm -hmm. So they sort of down, downplayed her role and they wrote out the fact that she was married to Jesus, had children, you know, for various other reasons. And it was all edited out of the scriptures, the early scriptures. Mm -hmm. She said, no, she was very devoted to Jesus. You know, and, and he really, he really uh, liked her counsel. He, he, uh, he talked to her a lot about what was going on. And she was very, very close to him, not just because she was his wife, but because spiritually they were very well connected. And so yeah. she... Uh, you said that she was his um, spiritual and intellectual equal too, which yeah. I thought was beautiful. You know, the spiritual community have, have known this for a long time, but it's interesting that you confirm much of what we've been talking about for many years and, um, and you who had your head in the law books for, you know, 40 odd years were not having this conversation. So it's only been in the last, is it 10 years? Has it been 10 years or what year was it that you met? 2007 I met Albert. So 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. 2007. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so it's only been in the 10 years that, that you come across this, but um, yeah, that, that's been talked about a lot in the sort of the new age or the spiritual community mm -hmm. that she was mm -hmm. this uh, high priestess or that she was this, spiritual advanced soul and intellectual equal to the the teacher of jesus and um you talk about more she has more to say which people can read in the book okay so this is the because i'm putting out a book on you know surviving death this story this chapter talking to the dead really really touched me and i think that this is such a beautiful chapter for anyone that's grieving so um you asked albert um 
you know, how do psychics talk to the dead? Like, how do the spirits communicate with people who are incarnate? And he took you to see a session of some grieving parents wanting to contact with a psychic. That was fascinating. That was fascinating. And um, people can read that. But I'll tell you what happens in this um, chapter that has confirmed what I've been talking about forever, which is not not everyone in the spiritual New Age community has been talking about. There is no bad spirits. There are no bad spirits. Like people are always talking about those bad spirits are going to get you. You know, there are bad spirits that attach to people and suck on your energy. Some people have even said that don't trust the angels because they're demon spirits appearing as a divine being and they're sucking your energy. Oh my God, there's been some rhetoric out there, let me tell you. And I've always said, you know, Esther Hicks says, Source is a source of pure positive energy. There is no source of evil. There is only positive energy that you can allow or pinch off, allow or pinch off. There are no bad spirits. There are bad thoughts that you can latch onto and they can kind of, you can feed on bad thoughts or thought forms, mm-hmm. but you can change that as quickly as you can change a thought. Mm-hmm. But there is no devil and there is no bad spirits. And you really get into this. And I love it in this chapter. You want to. Do you want to uh, talk about that? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I, I've heard the same thing from other people that you have, that there's evil spirits, uh, you know, uh, spirits that can possess people, you know, mm-hmm. they can do bad things. Albert says there are no evil spirits. I mean, everyone, spirits in their purest form are nothing but ener- beings of energy. They have nothing but love, unconditional love. They're connected to the source. There's no negative emotions. There's no evil intentions. There is no devil for sure. And so everyone in, in, in their purest form is, is just goodness. They're just goodness and love. And now, now humans can be evil. Humans can be bad. Humans have negative thoughts and humans cause a lot of havoc, but that's humans. And once, once your soul's away from your human body, away from the environment, you revert back to your original form, which is pure unconditional love, pure energy, pure goodness. And so there are no evil spirits. So whatever bad things happen on our planet are not caused by evil spirits because there are none. They're caused by men. Yeah, that's that's where the evil comes from. Yeah, but as we did talk about last time, you can leave your physical body and take your mind with you, your thoughts, your negative thoughts with you, and have an astral experience that is a negative experience. You could be, you could haunt people, you could be a ghost, or you could um, you could ha- go to a hellish realm and and have a hellish experience because you're still attached to the negative thought forms that you were attached to while you were physical. Uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like some people do leave their body and they have like a hell experience, like uh, Howard Storm did, but there's yeah. no place called hell. Like, like yeah, yeah. Um, it's just yeah. an astral experience. Yeah. Yeah. Hell does not exist. And I asked Albert about that when some people have had a hellish experience during an NDE, mm. he says that everyone's NDE is tailored to that particular person yeah. and they are shown what they need to be shown to help them on their journey. And so everyone's different. And so the people who have had a hellish experience, it's because that was what they needed to, to spur them on when they got back into their body, spur them on to do the things they're supposed to do. So some people get, some people, most people see heaven, a really nice place. They see Jesus. They see, you know, whatever religious figures they, they adhere to. That's all very pleasant. But there are a few people who have a hellish experience, and that's because they need that sort of as a kick in the, in the, in the rear to, to get them to come back here and do better things with their lives. And so, so it's just an illusion, just yeah. an illusion. Hell does not exist. 
You know, but here's the thing though, Garnet, it's an illusion, but it's as real as this illusion. Like what's happening right now is an illusion. You and I talking on the computer, having this, it's an illusion, right? But it's a real illusion. So that experience, their hellish experience is a real illusion. It's real real to them when they have it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, um, and they come back and they go on, you know, Sally, Jesse, Raphael or some, you know, talk show and they say, hell is real. I went there. <laughs> so, uh, and then for poor people, I get, you know, emails, this poor girl, she said, my brother died recently. He committed suicide. Is he in hell? I'm yeah. really scared that he's in hell. And, um, and she said to me, he always said that he was going, um, he knew where he was going. He was, I think he was quite, you know, tapped in, but he just didn't want to be here anymore. So he left. And he always said he was going to go to another planet or another dimension or somewhere. And I said to her, well, that's where he went. You know, like I, mm-hmm. she didn't want to have a session, but I just sort of answered some of her emails and then she kept flooding me with emails. But people are so confused about this hell thing. So, um, yeah. Well, that's so we, what I was taught as a, as, a, as a child, that there is a hell. And yeah. if, you're, if you don't, if you sin and you don't make amends, that's where you're going. And it scared the heck out of me as a kid. It scares a lot of people who believe in it. And, you know, and that was one of the things that, that points that Jesus made when I had this visit with him was that one of the worst things the Catholic Church did was create this, this place called hell, uh, to, to put, in a lot, uh, put people into fear, a uh, lot of anguish. You, know, you can imagine that if you, if you sinned on a Monday and you couldn't get to confession until the next Sunday, you could say, God, what happens if I die of a heart attack in between? I'm going to go to hell. Can you imagine the sleepless nights? He's saying that sort of mental anguish was totally unnecessary. And, and not only for yourself, but you might be worrying about your, your son or your daughter who's done something and they haven't gone to confession. You know, like, God, what happens if they get into a car accident? Oh, no, I've lost them. They're gone. They're in hell. And, and he said that's, that was really a very bad point that the Catholic Church promulgated. Uh, they used it to, you know, to, to get people to come to church, get them to come to confession. Uh, so it's worked very well for them. They filled churches up because of that idea. He said that's just very wrong. And, and they really need to change that. And he really, he was frustrated about that. I know you have this chat with Jesus. Cause I think it's the second or third time, second time you've chatted with second Jesus. Time, yeah. uh, okay. So you say that, uh, you know, I want to talk more because you know, he, he talks through me and I've asked him many questions and he's spoken through me many times. He's much more loving than I am. And he's been, <laughs> he's been much more diplomatic than I can be. And mm-hmm. when I read your book, he was a little bit more forceful about his opinions than he is when he speaks to me. He says, I love everybody anyway, even if they have, you know, used fear and control to control people. And I'm like, you're very loving, much more loving than me. But uh, he, he, he gets on his soapbox during this. Uh, he, he does. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a bit surprising, but I, I guess he, uh, he wanted me to convey that message to him. He, I mean, it's one thing to say, I love everyone, which he does, but it's another thing to say, this is what I'd like to have changed with the Christian church if I could. And I, and I wish somebody out there would be listening to me, particularly the Pope and the Cardinals, because they're the ones who can get rid of all this nonsense and go back to focusing on love and forgiveness and compassion. Okay, so how can we change that? How can people reading your books or watching your interviews or listening to your interviews, how can they help to change such dogmatic, uh, solid sort of beliefs inside religious dogma? How can we change that? 11-11, I just looked at the clock. How can we change that? 
I, you have to take one step at a time. I mean, you start by talking to your family and, 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 and convincing them of, of, of what you believe in and then talk to your neighbors and your coworkers and get them to spread the message. It has a, has a ripple effect, you know, get them to listen to all your videos. And that's a, that's a good way of making a first start. You know, I mean, it's not easy. Like none of us can sort of command world attention and say, this is what you should believe. We we're not capable of that, but we have to just take small steps and get people to, to move slowly and surely. And, and it can be done. It can be done. We just have to work at it. Yeah, well, that's why I have the show, you know, to spread this message. Um, I uh, have a Catholic neighbour. She works for the Catholic Diocese here. She's actually got a really, really high job inside the Catholic Church. and But she's always over at my place and I'm always telling her my stories and she sort of, her yeah. eyes glaze over. Yeah. But, you know, she's studied religion. Like she's got degree after degree after degree in Catholic science and all. And mm. she, she's actually putting on a big festival. 20,000 people are coming this weekend to this big Catholic festival anyway and um so i do my part in telling her uh, not that she's got maybe she can i don't know but i was telling uh, my uh, i was at a picnic the other day and i was telling a little friend a beautiful spiritual little girl about some of your stories and her eyes glazed over too because how you get your information just seems a bit too out there for most people that's the thing you know well, a lot of people don't, don't realize they have spirit guides. And yeah. so spirit guide is sort of a new concept. I mean, you're very familiar, you know, your guides and you talk to well, spirit, you know, but, but a lot of people, it's just like, no, you can't do that. And that doesn't happen. And, and so that's why when you start from the premise of I'm getting messages from my spirit guide, it's sort of like, you're what? What is that? You know, that, yeah. that's not possible. You well, know? here's what my Catholic neighbor said. She said, we talk about angels and talking to God in the church. So how can I judge you for saying that you talk to spirit guides when the church talks about the same thing too, not with the same vernacular, but mm -hmm. basically the same thing. And I'm like, right. yeah. So she says, so I guess I have to believe you that you talk to spirit guides. Cause I said, you just think I'm crazy, don't you? And she goes, no, I can't think that. No, because, you know, we talk about something similar inside the Catholic Church. So, mm -hmm. so she's pretty kind of open. Uh, uh, but yeah, this, yeah. you know, this Very is Very unusual for, you, for, for somebody like that to be so yeah. like. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell her you said that. Uh, this little girl is very spiritual. She, she can come with talking to spirit guides. I just think that you being flown around the universe in your astral form with Albert, that might have been a little bit more too much of a reach. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a reach for a lot of people. <laughs> anyway in, in any event you know what she, she will find out when she crosses over the, the, you know who was telling the truth it was you and i <laughs> well we wouldn't want to be right about this you know i'm right you're wrong it's just an no i mean i, I mean in a, in a pleasant sense that she realized that yes that uh, this is how it all works you know yeah, I used to say that about my dad because I used to talk about this stuff and he didn't believe in life after death and he didn't believe in reincarnation. He didn't believe in any of it, right? And I used to think, well, you'll find out. And he died about 10 years ago. And I said, will you come and tell me that I was right and you were wrong? And he didn't. <laughs> he didn't? Have you had contact with him? No. Yes. You have. Yes, but this but he... whole, I needed to be right. And, you know, see, I was right. I told you so. Yeah. That's all the ego mind, right? That's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he, he didn't give me that experience of going, I told you so, didn't I? Like, he didn't. <laughs> but he was obviously in the place where you said he was going to go. Well, when I saw him, I just saw him smiling, just beaming. Just be he didn't have a conversation with me. Like, yeah, you were right. Uh, and that's the conversation I wanted. But that was the ego that wanted that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was smiling like, 
it was kind of like the smile of, you know, that role I played as your father and all those things that went down between us was just a, you know, it was just a, it's like the banter that you and Albert have. Yeah. Just knowing that it was just roles we were playing. Mm-hmm. And this um, I'm right and you're wrong was just all part of the play. Mm-hmm. It's just all part of the play. Parallel universes. Now, this is fascinating. Right. Well, there are parallel universes. A lot of people have speculated about that. Albert actually took me to visit one. So it was our planet in a parallel universe. And, but there are two very amazingly different features of that, of that planet. Uh, because a couple of hang on, hang on. Wait, 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 Karen, wait. We're frozen again. Okay. There's two, you said there's two completely what? Different? Two completely different aspects of that planet that resulted from a couple of quirks in their history that didn't happen in our planet. So here's Earth in a different universe, same time zone as we are, basically the same time frame. He took me to New York City and we went, dropped down in lower Manhattan. There I saw the World Trade Towers still standing. And I said to Albert, well, how can this be? Because they were destroyed way back when by the terrorists... Uh, plane attacks. And he said, well, what happened was that way back when, when Muhammad was a very young man, he died in a freak accident before he could form Islam. So there was no Islam religion anywhere on planet earth. So there were no, uh, there were no crusades because the Holy land wasn't occupied by Muslims. It was occupied by Christians. Most of the Middle East became Christian, not Muslim because religion didn't exist. And, and, and so there's no crusades, there was no uh, civil war in Syria, no Islamic terrorists because the religion didn't exist. And so therefore, the World Trade Towers were still standing intact. And so that was just a quirk that happened to Muhammad in that particular parallel universe. And then he took me further up, up the island in Manhattan to where w- w- the place we now call Harlem. And we dropped down there and it was a busy street and people are walking around and he said, do you notice anything different about this? And I said, no, and then, I, then it hit me. Most of the people were white people walking around on the streets. This is the middle of Harlem. I said, how can this be? Because this is you know, the, known as being a very solidly black community. He said, another quirk of history in this planet was that way back in the, uh, in the uh, 15th century, uh, Britain abolished slavery. And other European countries that were colonizing the New World, they also abolished slavery as well. So there was never any slave trade from Africa into the Americas. Mm-hmm. They never brought any slaves in. Uh, th- there was no, so, so there was no slavery. There was no uh, necessary for uh, emancipation. Uh, Abraham Lincoln didn't have to emancipate the slaves. There weren't any. There was no civil war. There's no civil rights movement. Martin Luther King wasn't even born in the U.S. And he said that uh, as a result, the black population of the U.S. was like less than 1% just from normal immigration from Africa as opposed to 13% uh, that currently exists because of the all the slaves being brought over from Africa. So he said that's just another quirk of history. And as a result, um, there, America as we know it is was quite a bit different, including its history. It's kind of um, disturbing as well as not disturbing because it t- kind of talks about all the problems came from Islam in our world, which I don't know if that's the truth. The problems come from people believing their stressful thoughts, whether they're Islam or Buddhists or Hindus or Catholics or atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, because you didn't stay there too long, but I wonder, so you looked at, you looked at a parallel universe that had certain things change and it looked kind of better than our earth, but what were the challenges that they had? Because 
maybe they didn't have terrorism, but they had other challenges. But that was something. Well, yeah, they did. They weren't. It wasn't free from challenges. They had. Yeah. They've had. They had wars. They had first world war, second world war. They oh, they had, did. Yeah, oh yeah, they had they had that. I, I mean, I didn't go through the complete history of it with with right. Albert, yeah. but but they they did have their problems. Um, they did have, I mean, they had the sectarian violence in Northern Ireland, and they had a lot right. of the things. You know, it, the only thing they were missing was the Islamic terrorism part. And he wasn't trying to make a value judgment, nor was I, to right. say that that planet was better than ours. It just mm -hmm. was different. Just was different. Same, just the same thing with the slave, with the the blacks and the slavery. It was different. And without making any value judgment, but but that planet was not uh, you know totally peaceful. They had their problems. They had most of the wars that happened in 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 our the history of our Earth did happen there. Uh, so it had nothing to do with uh, with uh, Islam or Muslim people or extremists. Uh, and uh, you know, and the, the civil rights movement didn't happen in the U.S., but they had other problems. Yeah. I mean, they still they they still had the KKK uh, who were against uh, Catholics, yeah. and Jewish people. They were against uh, they, Catholics and Jews. So hang on, hang on. They had the KKK who were against Catholics and Jewish people. Yeah, they weren't against the blacks because the blacks weren't a factor. They were, there, there was, wow. there was sort of, yeah, but, but they, they, they did were against the Jewish people and Catholics, which the, the current, the KKK on our planet also has that, fa that, 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 that uh, oh, facet to them. Yes, oh, they do. It, 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 it's blacks, blacks and, and Jews in particular, and, and in some cases it was Catholics as well. Oh. So, yeah, and, and so they, they just had the black factor removed from their hatred and their, uh, their animosity, oh. and, and the, but they, they still carried on. But, you know, also it would, because the, the black community have brought so much richness to, with their huge community, to mm -hmm. richness and culture, music and dance and all that stuff would not have developed as much. You did say that some, was it game that, that, that they're good at? Basketball was not Basketball. as good, wasn't very exciting because white people didn't, you know, didn't get it together. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, the NBA was as much fun to watch because short white men uh, weren't as much fun trying to slam dunk the ball <laughs> as the tall black people. So that was just a bit of a – Albert was just toying with me. But uh, in any I event, know you and Albert have some great banter in this book. You get yeah. – <laughs> Yeah, we do. He's, and, he, and he loves it. And he, unfortunately for me, he usually wins. He comes, comes out on the better end of it, but I'm used to that by now. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, we'll have to wrap it up now. Um, I'm just going to talk. We've talked about. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Stra the 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 one that when I first read the book, the the chapter that really stuck with me was obviously the mermaid in Uluru, but the uh, spotlight on Earth. No, not spotlight on Earth. The strangers in the alien. Now this is one, and the utopia. The the pill that made us. You could eat what you like and and not um and not get fat. But we won't go yeah. into that. That's in the chapter called Utopia. I'll have to read yeah. about that. But the strangest in our mists. Now that the um the the alien, but that the I've talked about that with people because again that was kind of like, did you know there are mermaids and did you know aliens have like? Could <laughs> you want to talk about that? That yeah, that's hard for people to swallow. But yeah, it was. Uh, he took me to visit. This was in Oxford in England, and he took me to meet um, a, a lady there who was a professor in the School of Medicine, and she looked like an ordinary human. And then Albert said, said something to her and she sort of dropped her disguise and she was a blue humanoid alien. And she was from another planet. Their mission there was to help humans. They were trying to, she in particular was trying to work with humans to find out if there's a way that they could find, uh, change our genetics somehow to, to get rid of our negative emotions and, and get in more in line with some of the other civilizations, human civilizations on other planets. 
And so that was her job, but it was a perfect disguise. I mean, you, you couldn't tell her from uh, the difference between her and anybody else. She says that she's been living among us for a long time. There are other aliens who are also doing that. And so you never know. Your neighbor across the street may be, uh, you may, may be an alien. You don't know. You can't tell. Very good disguises. This is this is my mission to meet someone like that. I'd like to. I would really like to see that. And to meet a, a, an angel that's like manifested in a physical person. I'm sure I've met many of them, and I just didn't know it. Funnily enough, I bought petrol the other day, and mundane thing. And I, you know, and I bought a sandwich with my petrol, and I gave the man this beautiful Indian man behind the counter some money, and he just looked at me and he said thank you. And I looked up into his eyes and he was just beaming. Mm. And at the time I didn't think about it. I just thought, what a lovely man. And I got in my car and drove home and I thought, hang on, you know, maybe there was more to that guy than just a pretty smile. It may have been, yeah. You should go back and talk to him. <laughs> well, every time you go to the petrol station, there's someone different behind the counter. So yeah. Might have been an earth angel just giving yeah. you a lovely smile or it might have yeah. been. An, anyway, Kristen's arrived. Shall we let her in? Sure. Where is she? We'll say hi to Kristen. Let me check. Well, we'll just tell people. Um, we have to leave something for the people to want to get the book and read it for. I know. I know. There's so much in this book. But so you, you talk about parallel universes, the goddess Athena, angel on a mission, archangel Michael. Lots of people chat with Michael. Prince of Peace, Jesus. We've talked about that. Uh, how do you say that? Elo, Eloa, Eloa, Eloa. Eloa, Eloa. So this is the name that the source gave you when you talk to the source. So it's kind of like you this talk was, to God. Eloah was sort of the spokesperson for the source, so not the, the source per se. Spokesperson for the source. Yeah. yeah, and that was kind of an interesting in, in this dark cave and this ball of light and we had this conversation. But it was, uh, yeah, he basically explained a bit about the source. Most of it is too sort of mind-boggling for humans to comprehend about the yeah. source, but yeah. the source... You know, I said, who created the source? Well, no one. The source is always there. The source created the universe. And the source was, it's really fascinating. The source created the universe sort of a, with a built-in randomness factor. And so that there was sort of, there was one universe and then that universe split. And then later on they split. And, and this has been going on for eons about universes being split. And that's why we have parallel universes. That's why I went to that parallel universe uh, with our planet Earth. And, and so this continues. And, and it's very interesting because no, no no two parallel universes are identical. As soon as they split, they are, but then they go off on different, different tangents because of the, of the different. Free will. Yeah. Free will, yeah. Different. Yeah, free, but because of free will and other things going on. So they all go off in slightly different tangents. And so in the source, this is great because the source um, experiences its universes through us because everything that we experience, the source experiences. And so the source gets all, gets to understand what it has created by, through the, through the various, spirits who incarnate on the physical plane and experience things like the planet earth or all the other planets. And so it's just an amazing sort of experience for, for the source. And I said, well, why, you know, why would the source create so many, allow different universes to develop? I mean, why wouldn't they all be the same? That'd be boring. It'd be like, no one would play roulette if the ball always landed on the same number. Yeah. And so the source wants as much diversity as possible and, and really enjoys all the different experiences that happen to people in all the different universes. It was very, very interesting. I know the extent of the diversity that we can experience is just exponential. It's just extraordinary what we can get up to. It's just like, we're never going to get bored. It's not like we're going to die and play harps in heaven for the rest of our life. We can just that, explore yeah. and explore and explore and explore. Exactly. And explore and 
it's just beautiful. And, and obviously the last uh, chapter is the dance of eternal rapture, which is, um, which is beautiful. People can read about that, but um, something that was really interesting, it's about merging with the Godhead or the, you know, the great central sun or the mm -hmm. God or the source or the, it's like the drop of the ocean becoming one with the ocean again. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting, there's like a lot of Hindu tradition and tradition, spiritual tradition that says that, you know, we're on this evolutionary path back to source. But what you explain is what I've always understand too. We can, we can be one with the ocean again and then come back out and play again and go back and be one with the ocean and come back out and play again. And there is exactly. no beginning and no end. And there's no, no. journey from two. It's, there's a journey from two and then back again. And it's just, it's expansive and eternal and delicious and diverse yeah. and yes. incredible. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's something yeah. we can all look forward to because it, it's never ending. We're in yeah. a journey that has no finish line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very interesting. So the fact that we're, you know, you know, humans down here that are doing, not evolving very quickly doesn't really matter because there's no such thing as, there's no race <laughs> to the finish line. There's no, there's no deadlines, no timetables? No. You can take as long as you want. <laughs> and I guess that it's made this dimension so much more challenging and so much more enjoyable in a way, so much more challenging because we are so stuck in our judgmental ways. And, um, and so the teachers that come here to teach people how to return to love, they have a bigger kind of experience in front of them than they do on other physical dimensions because of this, uh, these, um, these powerful thought forms that we're, mm -hmm. we're trying to transform. Yeah. So it's not an easy job. No. Yeah. But, but, but our work cut out for us. Phew. Yeah. And, and you're doing a great job, Karen. Thank you. We should all be thankful that you're doing what you're doing. And you're doing an excellent job. You've rocked my world. Got it. You've rocked my world. The mermaid. Well. <laughs> <laughs> the Gaia yeah. and the Esbrock and all that. You've rocked my world. I love it. No, Thank that's you. great. Well, thank you. Thank you again for another fascinating conversation. Well, thank you for inviting me again. It's always a delight, Karen. And uh, I really do hope we can meet in person someday. We will. We will. And so if you live in Canada or anywhere thereabouts, I'm not sure if you're traveling with your QHHT, I always mm -hmm. forget them, but with your work, with your hypnosis work, you can now go and have a session with Garnet Schulhauser, the therapist. I would love to come and have a session. Well, that'll happen one day. Definitely. My, maybe next year or the year after, I want to get you down under to, to, um, to talk to people about all your experiences in, um, in a year or so, maybe next year, maybe the year sure. after. But anyway, there'll be more to talk about in a year or so. There'll be more to talk about. And I, the, the fourth book sort of reads like it's the last in the, well, we can't call it a trilogy, but last in the series. But um, I know there's, there's more to come. There's more books to come. Yeah, I, I I think there is, and and I'm just on a, I, I'm just sort of on a different path right now with the QHHT, but I'll get back to the book soon, and I'm just waiting for marching orders from Albert, and and when he tells me to go, then away I go. The way do you miss having those astral adventures? Do you miss it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, because they were a lot, really fascinating, very absolutely fascinating. Everywhere I went, every person I spoke to on the spirit side, they all had a different story. Very interesting. Uh, very very much wisdom. Uh, it just, you know, it's it sort of life changing for me. And so I do miss it, but I know that Albert has his agenda and uh, I just have to follow along when he's ready to take me on the next trip. He'll just show up one night. 
Well, like me with the fabulous guests that I have on the show and how much I enjoy hearing their journeys and their stories and their wisdom and their enlightenment, you get to still experience that through your clients. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I get even sort of more dimensions showing to me with my clients on the QHHT, which is what Albert intended, I think. And I, I find that absolutely fascinating as well. A little different perspective, uh, you know, because I think that Albert basically, you know, he, he has other messengers that he has to deal with. And, uh, and, and so he wanted me to sort of have a different avenue in my spiritual journey, which this is. And so it was good. Do your uh, clients allow you to write down what, you know, to, to document what they say, to be able to present it to the public? Because there's a lot of people uh, doing that, you know, Dolores. Yeah, I know. I, I haven't got to that stage yet. Uh, some people do YouTube videos and post them. I may do that in the future. Just I'm, I'm still sort of getting my feet wet on this thing. And, but mm -hmm. at some point I probably will maybe even write a book about them. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I'd be totally up for you regressing me and writing all about it and giving it out there to the public. I'm totally up for that. It could be anonymous. It doesn't have to even be your name. People don't have to know, but just... No, they don't have to know the name, but yeah. I, I, I really want to get, get you into your mermaid uh, life. <laughs> I've, been, I've had many lives. I've seen many, many of my past lives over my years. I, I've seen many. I've been in war. I've been a man more times than I've been a woman. I've been, yeah. a, man. I've been a scientist. I've been a doctor. I've, been a do I've, I've remembered my life as a doctor. Mm -hmm. Many times. And when I watch, um, I can watch all this gory stuff on television, you know, operations. I can, I can watch that. No problem. Blood doesn't mm -hmm. bother me at all, but I have been privy to many of my lives. I've, I've been around, man. Yeah. I've been here for a while. <laughs> I'm not you're, one of those newbies from another planet. Like I'm not a star. You're, you're, you're a wise soul, right? <laughs> I'm an old man. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. What did you think of that one? <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. It was beautiful to read the book uh, like at the beginning of the year and then again a year, almost a year later. And uh, as Garnet and I were discussing, Albert gave him that big stretch of time between radio interviews so he could focus on his QHTT. Oh, I always get that confused, but his, uh, his therapy work and uh, he said how much he's enjoying it. So if you are anywhere near Canada, go have a session with him and write to me. Tell me how you go. I'd love to go and have a session. Unfortunately, he can't do that sort of thing over the internet yet. So uh, that'd be fascinating to have a session with Garnet. Such a beautiful man. Hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you want to meet next year, we're coming up to 2018. I've got a whole slew of guests lined up for the Inner Sanctum to meet next year. <clears throat> I'll be posting them on my page soon. So you'll see who we've got lined up for next year if you want to come in and we put you know on these monthly webinars to meet them and also i invite people members of the inner sanctum to come in at the end of an interview as Kristen was trying to while she was driving the car to meet some of the guests that i interview during the show doing the shows and uh, next year hopefully i'll get some live streaming happening on facebook just have to work that out there's a million things to talk you know think about doing all these webinars but there's so much great technology out there now that you can live stream while you while i'm doing the interview so people can watch the interviews live on facebook that'd be cool and uh, and then also they'll be on you know youtube and itunes and stitcher radio and soul traveler radio and all those places so uh, soundcloud mixcloud there's a few other places there's a new one i just added it to to another one so uh, mushka Anyway, I have to have a look. Go, go and have a look on my website. 
So great to be with you again. And remember, I'm still available for one-on-one sessions. I'll probably stop that the more busy I get next year. So if you want to have a reading or a session, talk to your mob and my mob, let me know. Go to the website and you can book a session there. Love to you all. Bye for now. Oh, the next show is going to be about the wrap-up of this year. I'm going to talk about all the people I spoke to. So stay tuned for that coming up soon. Love you. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for another enlightened conversation on Accentuate the Positive. If you would like spiritual guidance from my guides, Blissful Beings, go to karenswain.com for a reading or to listen to more enlightened thought leaders share their wisdom. Go to the listen page on karenswain.com and choose who you want to listen to. All the podcasts are also available on iTunes. Remember to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it, we're there. Until next time, bye for now. If you feel like that's what you want to do.